It takes more than a Turing-complete constraint-based layout system to be a great <laughs> software engineer. This is episode 87 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software engineering. That's right. And Turing-complete constraint-based layout systems. I don't even know if they are <laughs> Turing-complete. I just assume because they're... Isn't the, isn't the proof of Turing-completeness just like... It's pretty complicated, so probably. <laughs> they can probably do everything a Turing machine can, I guess. Yeah, that's what it is in my head. Anything I don't understand. So this constraint-based layout system is this CSS? No, you, CSS is not a constraint-based oh, layout system. What is CSS? I is it a different category? I think so. I think we're... I've heard these words. <laughs> I don't understand them super well. I know iOS has one, I think. Oh, okay. I think it's about where you say like, I I want to constrain these elements to have these widths between them, and then it kind of like lays everything out automatically, in hard to predict ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, but this is very technical, and this shows about non-technical <laughs> things. So we should talk about those. Let's just take twenty minutes where we just listen to the Let's sounds. <laughs> Of me Let's and just go into a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> just listen Switch to what it up. Jameson's keyboard sounds like when he's Googling things he doesn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> we we know the listeners listen to this show for hard-hitting, totally non-expert, off the top of our head, <laughs> off the first page of Google search results, <laughs> technical information. In the, in the dark world. That we have no personal experience with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what they crave. <laughs> we're just humble servants. We're here to deliver what you crave. <laughs> um, oh, speaking, our... no, real, real oh, quick. We do not want to answer our first question yet. I wanted to say uh, shout out to people who have been leaving comments on our website for each episode and taking the discussion in new directions. It, uh, I read through a bunch of the comments recently and was, as usual, both surprised and humbled by how little Jameson and I know about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are smart. Good work. It's great. Yeah, it's it's really it was a a frequent and necessary reminder about how limited our scope of existence has been, and it's great to hear what other people have to say about these topics. So go check it out at softskills.audio. You can click on an episode and scroll to the bottom. You can see comments that people have left. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Yes, this cause. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I remembered how this individual asked us to pronounce his name. <laughs> it's <laughs> David. <laughs> okay. Not David. David. Okay, David. Um, David writes, I've been working on a project for the past year with two other senior developers. One of them is the lead and the other is my peer. We all have a lot of respect for each other's opinions and resolve our engineering disputes amicably. My problem is that sometimes my peer will just give up saying, have it your way. I want to have it out with him and evaluate each solution on its merits. I've considered staying, stand and fight you mangy cur. <laughs> <laughs> but then I looked up mangy cur and decided against it. <laughs> How do I get him to be more vocal about his opinions so that I can prove to him that I'm right? <laughs> <laughs> I assume that last part is a joke. It has to be. It was in parentheses, so that means joking, right? Yeah, and David sounds like a jokester because his email address was David normally, but mm -hmm. that's okay. We like we like jokes. That's why we do this podcast. That's right. 
Hmm. Oh, is this like a deep embedded advertisement for whatever fast food company says have it your way? Is that still, <laughs> is that McDonald's? Burger I, King? I, I don't know. <laughs> is this one of those native? Uh, yeah. Are you like a sock puppet for big <laughs> fast big, food? Big burger. Yeah. Big burger. Part of the big burger conglomerate. <laughs> Probably. Because if so, that will be several million dollars, please. That's right. And that will be seven mil- several million dollars wasted. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I could really go for a good have it your way brand burger <laughs> at a local establishment right now. Mm-hmm. Mm, delicious. There are some cultures where, where uh, there's lots of vigorous debate. And I think those have problems all of their own. But one of the problems usually is not like people don't stand up to each other and express their opinions all the way sometimes actually but i i guess the flip side of that is if you have a culture of people being really nice and kind and communicating well with each other um sometimes the sometimes the instinct is to smooth things over which might mean that uh some discussions don't happen as vigorously as you would like Hmm. and i i have been the smooth overer a lot i'm definitely a people pleaser Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if there's a technical discussion that uh, I have opinions about, but that I don't necessarily feel like is worth yelling about, or we're just going in circles or something, I'll just kind of back off and be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's, I think, it, I think it should be different, but whatever. But have it your way. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a glint on my teeth and it makes a <laughs> ding noise as I smile and give them the finger guns. <laughs> and then burgers drop from the skies (laughs) so i understand where your coworker is coming from i think have you ever been on the on the giving end of this like stay and fight where i wished people wanted yeah actually there's one specific coworker. well it wasn't quite mm, it did kind of work out like this actually sometimes there's one specific coworker who who i've talked about him before he didn't speak up as much as we wanted him to um the whole team because he was just a little more shy a little more reserved very 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 smart and we had to tell him like please tell us <laughs> what you think when you think we are wrong and when you disagree with us uh and it, he just started doing it more based on feedback we gave him and it was very helpful it, it wasn't it wasn't as much about debates as this question is though it was more about um just feedback and and architecture discussions and things like that mm-hmm. so i have been on that end and and i have yeah i have been on the other end as the person who just kind of backed off a little bit i worked with a a guy who was very tall and very large <laughs> and had this like giant viking ponytail oh and smoked hand-rolled cigarettes and was very nice but just like an imposing human, you know? <laughs> so like, like as soon as he walked in the room, you were like, um, you just have it your way, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want on your hamburger, sir. <laughs> so did he... Like, you want in- a taco on your hamburger? <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Have it your way, buddy. Have it your way. <laughs> so like, did he? did he just say things and you were like, Yep, we should definitely do that. No, no, no. It wasn't quite like that. It wasn't just like me cowering before him. It was like we had some different backgrounds technology-wise. We had some different opinions about the right way to do stuff. 
And uh, I just found myself deferring to him a lot, both out of this desire to like smooth things over and not caring that much. And also like, he's just, I don't know, just, just a big imposing human mm-hmm. um, who wasn't definitely not trying to be intimidating or anything, but that, that does affect how people interact. For sure. Yeah. And I think our technology decisions and our technical output was worse for my behavior, Ooh. even though it was the most comfortable thing to do at the time. Wow. Dang. So look, yeah, looking back, I would do it differently now, but I was well, just a young lad. Just going just with a the young flow. Burger King sales associate <laughs> making my way in the big city <laughs> with the wonderful opportunities afforded me by the company. So you're saying you probably could have course corrected something that turned out badly, but you felt intimidated into going along with the... Yeah, and it wasn't a huge disaster. We just we just ended up with things that I wasn't happy with and that caused some friction with the rest of the company. Okay. Um, some of it was around technology choice. It was just this weird one-off kind of Frankenstein thing mm-hmm. um, that we didn't know how to operate very well. And some of it was, yeah, was was more tactical, like the way we did things inside the inside the code we were working on together. Wow, that's very interesting. So, so I, I think if I was in that situation again, I would have just talked to him explicitly and said like, hey, I feel weird about how we work together. I, I feel like I need to kind of like back off and let you get your way more, but I don't think that's the right thing to do. So I, I'm going to try and discuss it more. I'm going to try to stand up to you, you big bully. Yeah. And, and uh, knowing him, I think he would have been fine with that. I think he would have he would have appreciated that. It wouldn't have been awkward. Um very, He's very, like, you are literally the first human that's ever stood up to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> how dare you? Do you see how big I am? No, no. Don't you know that I roll my own cigarettes? <laughs> again, very nice. Yeah. So I, just, I've just been, a weird thing. I've worked with a couple of people who, one person in particular who was uh, uh, a kind, the kind of person who would give in a little bit too quickly. Um, and I... At my last company, I remember uh, several occasions where I was discussing an idea with this person, and at strange points in the conversation, at least unexpected for me, he would just say, "Yep, okay, uh, th- that's fine." And I, and to me, like we were just barely beginning to explore the surface of what we needed to cover to make a good yeah. engineering decision, and he would just like insta cave, you know, just boom, caved in. And even even in situations where I would ask him about how something works or ask because i was curious about something you know and maybe we were trying to make a decision together and i would have a bunch of questions for him he would just kind of be like oh no you know what never mind so i I saw this pattern a few times and the thing is he was a really good engineer and super smart and uh had a a good reputation over many years of making good decisions and i really looked up looked up to him so when i saw this behavior it struck me as very odd so what did I do? Well, I confronted him about it. <laughs> um, over chat, I, I said, hey, I've, I've noticed a pattern where I'll be asking you a question or we'll be discussing something and you kind of like end the conversation. And um, I think we should, I just, I didn't really go, I didn't really spend too much time like asking him why or what. I just threw it out there and said, I think like, that, what's going uh, on? I didn't really, well, I didn't even, I don't remember asking what's going on. I just kind of said, hey, I'd, I'd like you to, uh, follow these conversations with me all the way to their conclusion and not, you know, cut, cut it off. Um, and it would even happen when he would come to me with a question where I would, you know, his question would be something and I would start answering and then I would ask him some follow-up questions to clarify things. And, and then he'd be like, Oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> you know? Hmm. So, so, um, 
I, in hindsight, I probably was intimidating to him. And it turns out that you can be intimidating without intending it at all. Just were you peers? At, at the time, we were probably not peers. I think I was probably his uh, manager in a managerial reporting hierarchy. Sure. So I could see why that would have imposed like a, some kind of pressure that I didn't even realize I was imposing. Did you so. see the same behavior with other people between no, you and other developers? No, I didn't. And, and that's why this one stood out to me. Sure. So I don't think I was universally imposing, but I, I certainly think that I was in this case. Targeted. You, you <laughs> understood his psyche and knew how to break it down. <laughs> Childhood fears, humiliations... You'd, you'd have subtle hints exactly. to his, his lost childhood toys on your clothing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember. It's been a, a enough years now that I don't remember, but I think things improved after that where he was more willing to engage in the conversation all the way to the end. I, at least I don't remember an instance of him withdrawing abruptly after that conversation. Sure, sure. Yeah, so maybe just... just hanging a lampshade on it, just being open about it and saying, hey, I've noticed this. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> Please stand up to me more. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. I know, like you're you're in this bad situation already, right? So it's really hard to address it, but... Yeah, yeah. Without, make, without making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did I stand Some up of to it, you, right? Oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> Nothing, it's just... You go ahead. Oh, uh, some of it could just be communication style. So I, this doesn't happen to me much for technical things, but for non-technical things, I have a really hard time pushing back and disagreeing and, and saying things I think people might not like or agree with in person, like in the moment. It's much easier for me to do it in text, um, kind of asynchronously where I have a little more time to think it over. So it could... I, I mean, you don't want to constrain all your communication this way, but it it could be easier for for your coworker to do it if you talk it over in text format. Maybe you have a design document, or you do it over chat, or something like that. Um, hmm, maybe you are the large and intimidating one. Have you yeah. tried being smaller? <laughs> maybe come in on your knees or something, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that or. I know they have, um, you can have like platform shoes to make you a little bit taller. Um, so they probably have shoes that make you a little bit shorter. Yeah, probably. I imagine just, that exists. Just the opposite of a platform shoe, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> I mean, the platform goes down and <laughs> then you're a little shorter. So try that. Maybe like suck in your gut a little bit. I mean, you, make yourself look, look, you don't have to just be shorter. You can be, you can be, have smaller width, smaller volume overall. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a puffer fish. <laughs> yeah maybe where you, like, suck maybe, your cheeks in yeah. <laughs> wear like the, horizontal stripes face. or something isn't doesn't that make yeah you yeah <laughs> or or like wear camouflage so it's oh, hard yeah. to tell where the boundaries end of your shape and then you kind of blend it into the outside mm-hmm. to stuff around you and then maybe assume you're smaller um yeah but just just be smaller <laughs> speak speak quietly not too quietly, because that's intimidating too. <laughs> the coworker who only whispers. <laughs> Why are you whispering? 
I believe our depo- our deployment process could do with some changes. Like, oh no, I'm gonna get stabbed. <laughs> Does it need human sacrifice? <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah. I I mean, I think it's worth just talking openly. I have seen that work in other in cases. Yeah, I've seen that work and when I've been the person who didn't stand up enough, that's what I would have tr- tried. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and you should, this else. needs to be resolved because what I, you know, Jameson's example from a few minutes ago is totally representative of what I've seen, which is that the more back and forth discussion you have about important decisions, the better the decision becomes. Now, obviously there's diminishing returns here, but if you, if the conversation ends prematurely, you're more likely to make a bad engineering decision. Yeah, and it's possible to build up resentment about this too, to feel like um, things are moving in a direction you don't like and you didn't get to or weren't able to influence it like you would want. Yes. So over time, it gets more and more frustrating that the finished product doesn't have your input, even though uh, the other person might feel like they're trying to give your input. It's, it. yeah. Yep, yep exactly. It's a resentment breeding ground. Yes, that is a good way to put it. All right, just talk to him. That's our advice. Um, have we answered the question? I think so. Should we go on to our next one? Let's totally do it. I will read the next question. This is from a listener named Ryan Moore. He said it's pronounced Ryan as in Ryan Gosling and Moore as in Roger Moore. <laughs> Roger. So it's pronounced Roger Gosling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I like the idea of measuring things, but I also feel like work metrics are easy to game and hard to make indicative of actual quality work being done and product being produced. In particular, I worry when the data collected leads people to choose work that will bump stats rather than lead to a better end user experience or more maintainable code. What kind of data do you think is useful to collect in terms of developer activity? Can you share some examples of ways you've been able to assess your own and your coworkers' productivity? I'm interested in this both on a team level and a personal one. How can I get better if I don't have a way to track what good is for myself? Is trying to turn the complicated and messy thing that I actually do all day into trackable, data-driven domain a fool's errand? Absolutely not. It's not a fool's errand. All you have to do is count the semicolons that you and your coworkers type, and I'm telling you, that is the metric. I use prettier, so when I write JavaScript, I don't type any semicolons, and it puts them all in for me. Um, so you have I defeated my system. <laughs> <laughs> my perfect metric is defeated. <laughs> Do you remember we we did talk about productivity a while ago, and we came up with a number of keyboards that you own or something, oh, right? Yeah, as like the null metric. So it has right. to be better than that. That's the baseline. That was episode yeah. seventy nine, I think. What? How do you know that? My mind is blown right now. Well, How do you know that? All I know is there was a title, there was a question titled developer productivity, so I just went out on a limb. <laughs> oh, are you looking at our Trello board? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought, man, I thought it was like a memento thing where you had them all tattooed on your body or something. <laughs> I also have that, but those those are uh, harder to search <laughs> than Trello. They only show up under UV lights. <laughs> yeah so that's the baseline better than mechanical keyboards that you own that's right hmm so i I like how it's split into personal productivity and team productivity because i think you can afford to be much more dystopian 
about <laughs> personal productivity yeah, metrics. Totally. Because you're doing it to yourself. So like if you measure the number of times you get up and talk to your friend, it's not going to make you, I don't know, you can't fire yourself over <laughs> talking to your friend too much. <laughs> Although you could bring that to your boss at annual review time and say, you know, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> Here's my dashboard. Yeah, I, I should probably be fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into quantified self. I quantified the number of tweets that I read each day. It gets real high sometimes. Yeah, so I think I think it's it's wise to split those up because you can be much more aggressive, and and get a lot more info that feels a lot less evil <laughs> mm-hmm. about yourself. H- have you done any personal productivity tracking stuff just for yourself? I have. About two years ago, I started using a tool called Rescue Time. Yeah, we may have talked about that. this on the show before. I don't remember actually. Um, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, the way it works is you run it on your computer, so it only tracks time spent on your computer, but it will categorize things based on the window titles of the applications that you're using. So you can even do it down to the website name. So certain websites can be categorized as productive and others can be categorized as distracting. And then each week you get a productivity score, which tells you what percentage of your time was spent on productive things and distracting things and how many hours you spent on your computer. And let me just tell you that for me was the eye-opening metric. It's just the number of hours hours. on your computer. Yes. So many, so many more than I expected. How about you? What, what would, what did you find when you started using? Um, yeah, I've used rescue time and yeah, I found that I'm not very productive (laughs) according to rescue time. (laughs) That's probably the most invasive one I've used. I've also done other things. I've, I've tracked the number of commits and number of pull Mm -hmm. requests closed and number of issues closed and stuff just for myself. Um, I think I did, I think I did one other thing. I have like a little text-based to-do system I use sometimes. Mm -hmm. And for a while I just tracked like some little metrics off of that. It was, it was very, very simple. Just like parsing this text file. Um, I don't think I've gotten too fancy though. And I haven't, I mean, there's so much data. Like I, I, I read a blog post about a person who just recorded all their keystrokes for all time. Oh my gosh. And put them in a database. And then they like mine them for patterns and and I don't know, there's some interesting things they looked at. I thought you were going to say mine them for passwords. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, hopefully you know the passwords that you're typing in. That could be very sensitive data and very damaging if it got out, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, There's there's also, you know a lot more, hopefully, about the impact that your work has. So so there's, there's two sides to it. There's the input, there's what you put in, and then there's the effect that it has on the code quality or the product or the end user. Um, Ryan talked about those two things. And I think it's really, um, measuring what you put in is is pretty easy. It takes some work, but there's a lot of tools to do it. Measuring the output is like the purpose of a business almost. <laughs> measuring the effect on users, like mm-hmm. that's that's hard. And I don't know how you'd tie those things together because i think to some extent they're not linearly related i think it's possible to just crank out a bunch of features and have users not care oh for sure it's possible to sit in a hammock all day and think real hard and then type for like 20 minutes and have people just have their minds blown yep (laughs) there's research behind that one too in fact there was research that i read from amazon and microsoft that found that like two-thirds of the features that they produced either had a negative impact on the user or had no impact on the user at all and it was hmm. only one third of the features produced that actually gave benefit. 
To which I say, well, you got to produce all the features in order to get those one third. <laughs> what if we just only do the good third? It's yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. So, so that gets into like product development and, and I guess there, yeah, there are all kinds of metrics around user engagement and activity, but sure. I think linking those back to specific individual developer oh, efforts. Very difficult. Yeah. That'd be hard. There's so many steps that go into it from design to development to like review and mentorship and mm -hmm. other people might throw in ideas even if you're the person that types the the characters exactly so even even code authorship might not be the absolute truth for sure for sure and, and say maybe someone built the platform that you are using to to stand on the shoulders of giants you know yeah yeah i mean there's yeah. it's super complicated to, to trace that back yeah i think there are some areas that you could attach metrics to and then optimize those, but just getting the broad, the, the grand unified theory of like how good is your work for the company and the code base, I think that's a little tricky. Yeah, I think so too. I think the best you can do is more simple metrics that tell you more direct things about what you're spending your time on. Like how many bugs did I fix? How many lines of code did I write week over week? And then those things, even those things are not absolutely useful. They're usually only useful relative to each other over time sure so you can identify trends in your own life like oh I'm, i typically write this many lines of code this week was an anomaly high because i you know copied and pasted a ten thousand line library into our code base or something you know sure and, and, i experimented with amphetamines at work <laughs> turns out the short-term productivity gains are astounding <laughs> But then you might also see uh, declines that you think are, you know, might be indicative of something else. Like, oh, I haven't written any code this week and that's very unusual for me. What's going on in my life? And it might, I think what happens is it act, can act as a circuit breaker to stop behavior that you know isn't helpful to your own well-being. Mm -hmm. It'll help you notice it before it becomes uh, burnout or some other negative effect. I experimented with amphetamines at work. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the long-term effects on productivity are also astounding. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think if if you are working on developer-facing things, um, it can be easier to measure the impact of your work on your users. Say say you're trying to build a better deployment pipeline or something like that, then you it's 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 easy to assess metrics on specific targeted tasks like that. How like how many deploys do we have? How long does each deploy take? And and I think those are good productivity metrics for that task. Or if you're building a component library or something like that, you could think like how much custom code does someone have to write to to finish a feature? Mm -hmm. How much custom UI code? So I think I think in more targeted tasks you might have better metrics, but just overall, yeah, that's real hard. Mm -hmm. Maybe ask the product people. Maybe they have it all solved and we just don't know because we don't ask them about it enough. That's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else knows the answer. They were like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> all you do is blah. So can I, can I make a weird meta comment about metrics and personal tracking? Sure. I believe that we use metrics for things that are too hard for us to understand directly. So for example... What do you mean? Like, say you're trying to measure engagement for your user base. If you knew all of your users, you wouldn't have to measure engagement. Like, you would just know. But but we no single human being can take, like, a million people's lives and uh, fully synthesize that in our own brain. So instead, we summarize their behavior through these numbers that are proxies for their actual behavior. 
right? Mm. So it's kind of it's kind of like the map is not the territory thing. I don't know what that is. What is that? As I understand it, it's kind of talking about abstractions and mm-hmm. how you make a map and the instant you make a map, you have made an abstraction because you've lost data and there's this trade-off between making a more accurate map and like recreating the physical world that it is a map of. So you, oh. you have to leave information out in order to make it useful, but then you have missing information. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, like it would be impossible to identify the political boundary for every grain of sand, right? So you draw a line and some of the grains of sand are like not exactly in that line. And right. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of about um, models and how they reflect reality. Yeah, and they're, they're yeah. always abstractions of reality. That, and that's and exactly so if right. a model tells you something, that doesn't mean like that's how reality is. That means that's what the model tells you. That's exactly right. And that's exactly the thought I'm thinking. And it, when, that's why we use metrics. Because especially for like large user bases, there's no way to track that. Um, and there's no way for a single human being to fully synthesize the behavior of all their users. But if you only had one user and you could watch them every day, all day, you wouldn't need metrics, really, right? I mean, maybe for remembering over time, you'd need to look back and do that. But but I'm getting to a point here, which is that maybe numerical metrics are not the best way to track your own personal productivity. And this week, I started doing something new, um, which I didn't even realize was related to this question until just now, which is I've started writing journal entries every night, actually every morning. Um, I picked up this idea from a little workshop that I've been taking each week through my church. And all my life, people have said, you should write a journal. And I just never did. And so I started writing down my thoughts each morning, just like, what are some of the things I did yesterday? What are some of the decisions I made? How do I feel about them? And, you know, I found that I got a lot more clarity about what's going on in my life than I ever did from things like rescue time or other metrics that I've used to collect. And hmm. so it's kind of an alternative approach and maybe maybe it's a complementary approach. But I think that when we're measuring our own productivity, we don't necessarily have to resort to metrics only. So you're talking about using narrative a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Like um, it's kind of like self-reflection more so than just saying, well, the numbers say I'm happy, so I should be happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I like that. I, I have a developer journal where I talk about um, work stuff. It's cool. It's kind of a combination of things that I'm doing, things that I've learned, and just how I feel about work stuff. Uh, and I found that very helpful. I think a key point you hit on is is this is very useful for personal productivity because mm-hmm. you have the whole story. Right. And it would be very easy to produce a very biased narrative about a team's productivity because you, you don't have the whole story there. Mm-hmm. And it's subject to all the biases that, that people are subject to. But I like that idea. Sprinkling a little bit of... A little bit of narrative, a little, little bit of a little bit reflection. of quali- qualitative, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the dream is you get a number and then you make that number go up, and that means everything <laughs> is better. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's hard to do. It's just crap. It's not. It's just a, it, to answer the question that the person wrote: uh, Is it a fool's errand? Um, yes, absolutely. For your own personal happiness, finding a metric or even a small number of metrics that can. Uh, measure your own like productivity and happiness is just i think it absolutely is a fool's errand you think it's worthless not worth doing at all no i don't think it i think it can have value as one item on your palette of many ways of tracking your own productivity and personal you know personal well-being okay 
but you're saying as the as the true measure yeah yeah so i i think i agree with that i think i think i agree it can be helpful but it's not like 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 we were saying earlier the map is not the territory yes and also we, um, a, a metric won't ever tell you what's important to you right like the metric just measures actions but how do you actually find out like what do i really want to achieve what's important to me that's pure self-reflection totally qualitative right yeah yeah that's true so, we're getting a little philosophical here yeah wouldn't want that <laughs> <laughs> Why would it be an okay time to transition over to measuring the productivity of your team uh sure yeah we could talk about that so earlier you said that it's okay to get really uh you didn't say orwellian what did you say dystopian uh, yeah dystopian about... orwellian is dystopian <laughs> that's right so i think you're right it's okay, it's okay to get really orwellian on your own self but yeah. with a team that's when you need to get really dystopian <laughs> <laughs> microchips implanted in the yes, skin yes <laughs> like smart carpet that tracks where everyone walks <laughs> absolutely <laughs> microphones i mean well there already are microphones everywhere yeah. so we live in that reality <laughs> welcome to the future but but you just need to ask them for their data and then mm -hmm. mine that uh, mine all their cell phones for locations all yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so we've got that plan another plan is i, I think there are two approaches one is you talk very openly with the team about what the metrics are um, in order to get their buy-in in order to make clear that you don't want these things to be biased or drivers but and and they're not going to affect directly hiring or firing or salary or anything like that and that way you hopefully avoid um, some of the negative effects of metrics on on your actions another approach could be to keep them all secret and mm -hmm. try and avoid the negative effects of, of <laughs> <laughs> metrics on people's actions by having them not know the metrics. That feels a little weirder, like you're a spy master. But I think if you use them responsibly, then maybe maybe the outcome is okay. How do you feel about those two options? I think that um, there's probably a hybrid approach that's best for many teams, which is that the team agrees on what's important to the team and they strive to achieve that and they have a measurable way to achieve that. And I wouldn't even call that like a metric. I would call that like a goal, you know? And you use metrics to achieve that goal. Because again, metrics can't tell you what's important. They just help measure progress towards something. So I think I think it's really good for teams to have goals and really good for them to have nice, measurable, easily quantifiable and clear uh, metrics, for lack of a better word, to know how they're doing toward that goal. Absolutely. Sure. But then... So goal is the broad thing and metric is how you're doing towards your goal exactly what you're saying yeah exactly but then also i think management needs certain tools at their disposal to be able to quantify how well their people are performing and this is where you get into really dangerous territory but also really valuable information so i mean story points is the big one right um, yep. i i don't think i've ever felt like story points were used well around me but that's a metric that almost everyone tracks and i think if you use them for feedback well they they could be maybe more I, than more than useless <laughs> it's a pretty high bar <laughs> actually well, the bar is it has to be better than the number of mechanical keyboards <laughs> you own and i think it potentially could be better than that more <laughs> how could you <laughs> <laughs> see that's the thing with metrics is more than useless is 
a bar, but it's so easy for a metric to become actually harmful, right? Yeah, it is. And but... there's this really fancy law called Goodhart's Law that says when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure, which means that when someone knows that they're being measured by a certain metric and that they will benefit by that or that it's an important metric, um, they will then start targeting that metric instead of the thing, instead of focusing on the goal the metric was meant to measure, they will focus on the metric. Yeah. Have you ever seen that happen at work? I don't think we've ever done metrics rigorously enough <laughs> for that to come into effect. Well, the, the, way these I, things, I mean, the way these things usually happen is like management leaks that they pay attention to some number, you know, and or they'll say something like, well, that'll come up in his review, you know, and then you're like, oh, that's a target, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be the giant wall size dashboard of a bar graph of commits across the team. There's each person's picture underneath the bar. <laughs> The, the commit leaderboard. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my friends, Ryan Florence, when he was working at a, a local company called Instructure, he was on a small team. They wanted to measure their productivity. So he just made a little dashboard. And all it was was the number of tickets closed each day. And it would just show each person's name and a giant number next to them, the number of tickets they closed. Mm -hmm. And I think he found that helpful. And it was also very much self-imposed. But also that could totally affect how you approach tickets. You could try and close them early. You could make them smaller so that you can mm -hmm. close more tickets. Mm -hmm. And even if you are aware that you will not be judged, in, in, in this case, it's a self-imposed metric. I think just the fact that it exists could bias your behavior unconsciously. Sure. Absolutely. So you, you might act differently in ways you don't perceive as doing deliberately just yep. because there's an, a, a number that you can make go up. In fact, boy, do we like making numbers go up? <laughs> yeah, we do. And I think a lot of people are extrinsically motivated by that. Not everyone. I think some people are more intrinsically motivated, but some people love to push that bar upward. And when management signals that that's important, you want to do it because you want to please your company. Like your management has said, this is important. So you say, okay, well, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to do that. That's obviously important. I think, yeah, yeah. I think some people are a little bit more negative about that and they they assume that humans must be inherently selfish because they're always trying to game the metric system for their own selfish game but I, I think that view is mostly crap because i think what happens is when a company's leadership signals that something is important that most people will, res will respond by trying to become excellent in that thing hmm. and that's why goodhart's law i believe is goodhart's law because people really want to do not right. not malicious it's just yeah yeah it's not selfish okay. it's that i want to do a good job and my company has told me that this is how I define a good job, so I'm going to do that. Now, having said yeah. that, there definitely are people who respond to the metric for selfish, you know, basically for selfish marketing reasons, where they say, I just want to look better than my peers. And we track those people in this chart over here. <laughs> <laughs> we have metrics on how many of them exist <laughs> and what their effect is on the company. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've talked about tickets closed, uh, story points, commits, pull requests. Are there any other there, there any are other <laughs> tools you could look at? Oh, yes, there certainly knowing are. Knowing all the trade-offs associated with them. Right. And, and uh, before I enumerate some of my favorite terrible metrics that I use to measure people's uh, personal self-worth. People's uh, value. <laughs> yeah, as humans. Let's make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that all developer productivity metrics are proxy metrics. So you have to be very careful. There are no direct metrics of a developer's productivity. Just absolutely none. It's not like that. 
So instead we use proxy metrics and we must be very careful about how we apply them. So um, you can use lines of code. And I think that as a, as a leader, it's good to know how many lines of code people are writing. Of course, there has to be a story behind that and you better, you better be familiar with the story and not just the number because the number can be easily gamed, not even intentionally, not even maliciously. Um, and also not all lines of code are created equal. So, you know, it has huge caveats, but as a broad stroke, you can use it to see roughly what's going on in a developer's world at work. Um, you said tickets. I like to break that up into like features delivered and bugs fixed, which I think is really useful. Hmm. Um, another one that I really like is how many code reviews did a person ask for and how many code reviews were sent to a person to get their feedback because that's a proxy for uh, trust between the team. If they are going to the same people over and over, it's a signal that those people are trusted and their opinion is well regarded on the team. Um, and like how many comments do people make on code reviews? Do they Are they active in the code review system or do they never make comments? Um, and then of course, on a more anecdotal front, I like to use just anecdotal peer feedback where I ask people, how are they doing? And they can just tell me in story form, not number form, uh, how they're doing. And the combination of all of these things, even still doesn't paint a complete picture. You as a leader have to be plugged in and know this person's story in their day-to-day -day life, but it can supplement that picture, I think. There's a, an interesting tweet by a guy named Dan Liu. He cited someone's blog post about personal programming productivity. And this person ended up recording themselves program. So they would just turn on a screen recorder, do mm -hmm. their work, and then watch it. Oh my and gosh. Look at things <laughs> that they saw as mistakes. They look at where they got stuck. They look at where they ended up too, and then look at kind of the path they took there. So maybe they were working on this gnarly function and they kind of poked around for a while and they ended up with something clean, but like they took some detours and they tried to use that to, to basically do deliberate practice to allow themselves to improve. That's awesome. What and was the outcome? They felt better. <laughs> I don't think there were, <laughs> I don't think there were metrics around it. Uh, I can read you the headlines though, eliminating distractions getting into the habit of getting into flow, scheduling my day around when I'm most productive, being patient. Those those were the the H2 tags in the article. So I think those were kind of the behavior changes okay. that this person made. Interesting. So there weren't numbers attached to it, but Ryan brought up the idea of like, how do I improve personally if I'm not tracking things? And this is one approach. And it gets into the the broader question of how do you practice stuff at work? Um, yeah. There's, there's, deliberate practice and then I, I forgot what the other term is just incidental practice or something it's mm -hmm. kind of where you just like do the work without trying things deliberately to improve at it and the value of just doing the work is not really very high um, any improvement that happens there is, is much smaller than people deliberately trying to improve so I think another broader point is um, you, you don't just improve automatically by experience if it's not experience that you're using to try to improve, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's very interesting. I've never been that deliberate about my, about practicing my craft. Yeah, neither have I. All I yeah, it just made me feel real bad. <laughs> that was the outcome of this. Also, I, I want to try it someday. Do, do you think that if you watch yourself make mistakes and then watch yourself recover and and get to a better outcome that you could somehow prevent yourself from making similar mistakes in the future? in software development? I know there are things I do that are very inefficient and dumb and bad. And I, and I also don't, know you I- you don't need a screencast to tell you? 
<laughs> no, no. I also know I don't know what they are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that the way I work is not optimal. I think some of it is like there's a journey you go through to get to the right answer. And I don't know that you can always just skip the journey and just sit down and think the right answer. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think there has to be stuff to improve on. I want to believe that. I think you're uh, already I done pretty, yet, though, pretty so. much a master, Jameson. I mean, what? Yeah. How could you get better? I did stream myself programming on Twitch once, and that was very stressful. How long? Uh, it was like two hours or something. Oh, wow. Okay. I was just making an HTML page, which is not j- just like doing layout stuff, which is not something I, I enjoy that much. So mm-hmm. that was also mm-hmm. pretty stressful. <laughs> I, I but, recently heard someone doing uh, small programming challenges and streaming it while they do it as like a newbie. They aren't. They were not newbies, but they were saying, look, as a newbie, you might want to watch how an experienced person writes code. Here you go. Sure. I there's, thought that there's sounded actually cool. a few programmers that stream on twitch and i found it pretty interesting to look at them just watch how they do it i've never had the patience to do that long (laughs) to stick with that though i mean yeah yeah like you get to watch someone sit and think a lot (laughs) (laughs) congratulations anyways that's that's one approach to look at improving your own personal productivity i will i will link the tweet and the article in the show notes anything else you want to say on this topic Oh, I don't think we can underscore enough how tricky metrics can be, especially for measuring other people. So tread with caution if you do this and um, be sure you have the full story before you make any important decisions based on metrics, which are inherently proxy metrics. Yeah, this is a fascinating and deep subject. And mm-hmm. my tendency is to kind of dismiss it as useless, but I feel like I could be missing out on some value Yeah, yeah. because of that. It's, it's just easier to say, oh, it's all garbage than to explore and get good at it. I think one more thing I'd say about it is th- one problem with over-metricizing, over-quantizing, quant- is that the verb? <laughs> yeah, probably. Quantitizing, over-numbering <laughs> a, a, someone's work is that you, you might crank up the efficiency so high that there isn't really time to sit back and think ever. And a lot of time, the concrete value to users and customers, like we said, is from sitting back and thinking, mm-hmm. doing less work, but it's more important work. And if all you're doing is heads down trying to make all the numbers go up, you might not sit back and think like, what if we threw all this away and did this simple thing instead? Mm. So if you do have pretty intense metrics, make sure you leave room for that kind of behavior as well. Awesome. All well, right. Question answered. Where can people go if they want to ask a question like this? They, well, don't ask this question. We already answered it. But if you want to ask a different question, go to softskills.audio. That is our website. There's a big old button on the top. Ask a question. Uh, You can put in as much or as little detail as you like. You can give us your name. You can give us a pseudonym. You can um, give us a series of unpronounceable characters like Prince did with his (laughs) name. And we'll try and figure out pronunciations for emoji if you do that. And, and yeah, we'd love to answer your questions. Thank you so much for sending them in. We are slowly working through them all, and we hope to work through all of them. And then at last, we will expire our life's mission complete. <laughs> I look forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy shining note, I think we're done. We'll all catch right. you next week. Bye-bye.